1: Two a
3: swing a Deep
2: left. hey everybody welcome back to another baseball america podcast i'm kyle glazer we're continuing our prospects series today with joe healy joe took care of the washington national system for us this year in the prospect handbook Joe, this is a system that looks very, very different than it did a year ago. The Nationals tore it all down at the trade deadline, traded away a lot of key veterans, including some guys who were key in leading the franchise to its first World Series championship in 2019. Uh, They reinvigorated the farm system with a lot of talent. Overall, what is your assessment of this farm system now? Because anytime you have a, a rebuild like the Nationals had, again, it's a complete and total facelift.
3: I mean, it's still probably not fair to call this a good system yet. Right. But I'd say it's a system, especially with the retooling that they did at the trade deadline. Some of their recent draft picks. It's certainly a system with some optimism and there's a difference. Right. I mean, there are some systems. I think a good example is a system that I that I worked on last year with the Colorado Rockies where um, that's a system that wasn't very good and, and there were some guys here and there that you could get excited about. I mean, obviously we've seen what Zach Neen has done in that system, but there wasn't a ton of like super, you know, super big, boldface reasons for optimism there. You were still kind of just mired in it. And the Nationals, it feels a little bit different. Uh, They've obviously got some guys at the top of this list we'll talk about who are really, really exciting um, in the short term. And in a case of a guy like Kiber Ruiz, a little more in the long term, a guy like Brady House, maybe somebody right in the middle of those two with Cape Cavalli, you know. And then if you, you get even further down, I feel like you've got a nice mix of guys who are, Uh, High floor guys who are close to debuting, some guys that are higher ceilings a little further away. So again, I don't want to get overheated about it. It's not yet a good system, but the moves they made, I think, have really started to turn the corner a little bit. So it's a situation where, look, if you're a Nationals fan, maybe you're feeling a little bit burned because, hey, it, it was like 15 minutes ago we were lifting the World Series trophy or not, if you will, because they never really got a proper celebration, let's be honest, because of COVID. But you know, 15 minutes ago, we were just lifting this trophy and, and now we're, we're hitting the reset button and all these players that, that we've loved are, are not here anymore. And that's kind of a tough thing to go through for a, a, a Fans who are used to winning baseball, but the next core of, of players coming up to make this a winning team again is, is probably not as far away as with some other rebuilds we've seen in recent years.
2: Yeah, I mean, with the Nationals, we have to keep in mind as we talk about all this, they were one of the best teams in the National League during the 2010s, of course, culminating in that dramatic World Series victory over the Astros, a team that just came back again and again and again, both in terms of the season and and individual postseason games. And in order to build that team, they did have to trade away a lot of good young prospects for veterans that put them over the top. You talk about Lucas Giolito, you talk about Ronaldo Lopez, you talk about Jesus Lazardo. and you would make those trades again because, again, the whole point point of this is to win the World Series. But in the course of doing so, this farm system was hollowed out a little bit. And then they graduate some guys, the big leagues as well, Juan Soto, Victor Robles, Trey Turner, that were starters in that World Series team. It's exactly what you want to do. But that did put them in a situation where going into last year in 2021, this was the worst farm system in baseball as ranked by the BA organization talent rankings. And it was very, very clear, very, very quickly that that ranking was accurate. Their affiliate at Loewe Fredericksburg was historically bad. The affiliate at AA Harrisburg actually was pretty awful as well. But in some cases, because Fredericksburg was so much worse, they got overlooked a little bit. Uh, talking to scouts who were watching the AAA Syracuse team, it was pretty consistent that there was just nothing there. Prospect talent wise, Carter Keeboob and Luis Garcia had graduated from prospect status. They were trying to get some things back on track. Uh, really, the only affiliate that had talent that scouts were even a little bit excited about at when the year started was high at Wilmington. And even that was just limited really to a couple of pitchers. So there really just was not a lot of talent in this farm system at the start of last year. And the results bore that out, but at midseason, they hit the reset button as we've talked about and traded away Kyle Schwarber and Brad hand. And then the very next day, the rebuild went into overdrive trading away Max Scherzer and Trey Turner Yon Gomes, Josh Harrison, John Lester, Daniel Hudson, and they brought back eleven prospects and a young big leader in Lane Thomas. And a lot of those prospects are in this Nationals top thirty. A couple of these guys have graduated. Josiah Gray was a prospect when they acquired him. They immediately put him in the starting rotation. He graduated, but. Cabret Ruiz is in this top 10. He came over as the headliner of the Scherzer Turner deal. Gerardo Carrillo is in this top 10. Uh, You go down into the top 30, you'll see Riley Adams, Aldo Ramirez, Mason Thompson. A lot of the guys that they acquired immediately became some of their best prospects and did make this a, a better, more improved farm system. You hit on something I thought was interesting where you said this rebuild might not take as long as some other rebuilds. And when I did a study of rebuilds for Baseball America a couple of years ago in 2018, we found consistently, with almost no exception, that anytime a team does a full, blow-it-up type of rebuild, as the Nationals did, it takes four years from the time they trade away the final pieces until they're a playoff contender again. The Pirates sold off their final pieces 2008-2009 at the final trades were in 09 they were a playoff team in 2013. the Astros sold the final pieces away during their teardown in 2011. they were in the postseason 2015. the Braves and A's tore it all down after the 2014 season they were back in the postseason 2018. The only real exception to this was the White Sox finished their teardown in 2017 with the trade of Jose Quintana. They were back in the postseason in 2020, but that was a shortened season so we don't really know how the rest of it would have played out pretty consistently, it takes four years. The Nationals, however, acquired a lot of guys in the upper minors or guys who are major league ready. We mentioned Josiah Gray immediately going into the majors, Cabert Ruiz, Riley Adams, Mason Thompson, Lane Thomas. A lot of guys were in the upper levels. In your discussions with the Nationals, what do they view the timeline as? Because I do feel like if there is a rebuild that could accelerate that four-year timeline, it might be this Nationals rebuild just because of the guys they acquired and where they are in their respective careers. Yeah,
3: I don't, I don't think there's a lot of appetite, frankly. I think they, there's an understanding that I mean, they wouldn't have made the moves they made if there wasn't an understanding that, Hey, we need some sort of reset here. Right. But um, I don't think there's a ton of appetite for this to be something that takes that four or five years is Is my impression of it. Um, the question I would have is just, you, you, you're you right. They've acquired a lot of guys at the upper minors, young big leaguers, and some of those guys look like they could be superstars, you know, Bear Ruiz, for example. But then you kind of have guys like Mason Thompson and you have Riley Adams, and there are still questions about, are those guys big-time contributors on playoff teams? And that remains to be seen. We'll give them a chance to prove whether they are or not. But I'd say the goal is to kind of reboot this thing instead of – maybe reboot is a better word than reset in some ways. Where it's really just you know you can you can turn your laptop off or you can just hit restart right and this feels like a little more like a restart that's the hope anyway is a little more of a restart than than a turning it off and turning it back on again and and of course it helps when you have a guy like you know Juan Soto as a foundational piece right Um, so that is maybe a little bit of a a difference maker in there and and a way in which the Nationals are are a little bit better uh, set to to do this and so. Look, I mean, it's not that simple. They can't just say that and have that be the case. And and to be clear, I don't think anyone's being that uh, open about it with the Nationals about what the timeline is there. But uh, but my uh, my impression is that look, they're going to try to accelerate this thing, and they want to do it right, but they want to do it quick.
2: Yeah, again, there is a big hole to climb out of. They went sixty five and ninety seven last year. They were last place the NL East behind the Marlins. So I think what we see a lot of times is when teams do a tear it all down rebuild, the reason it takes four years is because it takes that many drafts. It takes that many international signing periods. It takes that much time for talent to matriculate before you have enough talent to be a playoff contender when you're coming from a place like where the Nationals are right now, 65 and 97 last year. But again, as you've talked about, Mike Rizzo has been open about, there's not really an appetite for a four, five-year type of rebuild. And if MLB's postseason expands, maybe that accelerates it as well. So we'll see what they're able to accomplish. But I did Think it was really interesting that they were acquiring upper level guys for the most part and a lot of these guys are already in washington and the few that aren't uh in many cases should be there within the next year or two it's not like this was a lot of guys in rookie ball who are four or five years away so i'm going to be interested to see how it unfolds the top guy in all this is caber ruiz he's the number one prospect in this system His progress had been delayed a little bit just by the simple fact the Dodgers had Will Smith ahead of him. uh, That forced him to repeat Double A when he probably didn't really need to. Then you had the pandemic season. This is a guy who has been really, really talented, but he's also kind of fallen off the radar in some ways because he was stuck in the minors and he's been around for a while. But he's only 23, and when he got up to Washington last year and started playing every day for the first time, did pretty well, hit 284 with a 348 on base percentage. And again, it's a small sample size, but a young switch hitting catcher who's a plus hitter, who's major league ready and has done okay in his first stint in the major leagues. That is a foundational piece to build around. What do the Nationals expect from Cabert Ruiz moving forward? And ultimately, what made him the number one prospect in the system over someone like a Cade Cavalli, who we'll get to in a second? I
3: mean, the biggest thing is that he is, he is ready now more or less. You, you talked about it. I'd be interested, you would know this better than I, but it is a fairly small sample that we saw of him in the big leagues, but it was a successful sample. You know, if he can extrapolate that type of production out over the entirety of a season, he's in, he's in really good shape. So the readiness now is, is a big part of it. And they, they see him as a centerpiece, like plain and, plain and simple. It's a, you know, it's in a world where oftentimes you're having to make sacrifices with catcher and you're having to you know, decide whether or not this guy's a, a viable defensive catcher or if this really good defensive catcher is a viable hitter to start him every day. With Ruiz, you don't have those types of sacrifices to make. I mean, he is hit over defense at this point, but he is a, he's at a long track record of hitting. He impacts the baseball more the last couple of years than he had before. That was a, a knock on him for a while is, is can he really impact the baseball? And defensively, it's a fringy arm and and he's thrown out fewer than twenty percent of, of base stealers in the, the small sample that has been his time in the big leagues but one of the consistent pieces of feedback that I got from from other evaluators on Ruiz is that I don't I, they didn't super love the defensive tools but he just kind of made it work and they weren't really quite sure exactly how to put their finger on that there was a lot of like you know it's maybe it's intangibles maybe it's you know I, you know maybe he's a sneaky athlete and we're not giving him enough credit because his his measurables don't don't pop off from a defensive standpoint but you know, when, when you're talking again, when you're talking about a catcher that you're not going to have to make sacrifices on to find him a spot in the lineup, I mean, that's that's a cornerstone piece, especially in, in today's game.
2: I feel like Cabert Ruiz's season went under the radar last year. He hit 310, 377, 616 with 29 homers and 59 RBIs in 72 games in the minor leagues. And some people say, well, a lot of that was at Oklahoma City and AAA West, which is the former PCL. Oklahoma City is a pitcher's park. It's actually uh, strongly a pitcher's park. It does not play well for power. He really added a lot of power last year. And you're right. That was kind of the final piece, if you will. And again, he was only 22 for most of last year. It's not uncommon to see guys come into their power in their early 20s. He had a really, really strong season in the minors last year. Had a pretty good season when he got up to the majors and started playing every day with Washington. And again, this is someone that I think people have kind of, I don't know, There's this, it's weird in the prospect world when a prospect's been around for a while, people forget about him or just kind of like, yeah, whatever. But I mean, a 22 year old switch hitting catcher who performed like he did in the minors highest level and got to the majors last year is a, it was top 15 level prospect production. And he's still a top 15 overall prospect on the BA top 100.
3: We're we're humans, right? And we get bored, you know, I mean, prospect has <laughs> been around long enough. I mean, that's an oversimplification, but I, I do think there is some truth in that where, you know, guys been, we, we've nitpicked and, and picked at a guy for so long. We just kind of, I think sometimes we can get lured a little bit into thinking the player is static. And then also that if we haven't seen them, you know, debut by a certain point and they don't meet some benchmarks that we have in our head, we, we kind of get bored with it. But, but something you said kind of at the beginning, I think is, is really stands true here is we know how good the Dodgers organization is. And this is not a guy who moved up 10 spots in the in the rankings because he simply got into a weaker minor league organization. This was a guy who was a real dude in the Dodgers organization and is a real dude now. This is not a guy who ranks in the top 10 and was the 22nd-ranked prospect for the Dodgers. There are examples in the system of guys who came over from the Dodgers who were probably not really high-priority prospects for the Dodgers who are now um, in high-priority spots for the Nationals. Ruiz is not one of them he was going to be a dude no matter where he ended
2: up. This is an example of the type of player the Nationals just did not have in their farm system last year. One guy that was in their farm system entering last year that there was a lot of promise surrounding was Cade Cavalli. He was their first round pick in 2020 out of Oklahoma and Really did some good things during instructional league, obviously the twenty twenty minor league season was cancelled, but talking to scouts around instructs in Florida last year, his name kept coming up as hey this guy, it's real stuff uh, you know he'd fallen a little bit in the draft just because he had reputation for his stuff maybe not playing as well as you thought it would. Uh, hitters maybe getting a better look at his his stuff, making more contact than he would have expected, but He went out this year in his first full season, got all the way up to AAA, led the minor leagues in strikeouts, and frankly established himself as one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. How good can he be? Are the Nationals looking at a potential front of the rotation starter here? And and how much discussion was there for him to be the number one prospect in this system?
3: I'll answer the second part first. and I didn't have a lot of question here because I'm always going to be a little bit timid on you know an arm that we just don't have that much track record on because even at Oklahoma by the way I mean he didn't pitch a ton he was a two-way player I mean he did as a freshman he didn't do a ton of either he was kind of slow to come along and then his his breakout year was going to be 2020 and the season got canceled so you know he gets into the Nationals organization and of course now he's coming into an organization in 2020 we know how that went so as good as 2021 was you're still kind of have that little ounce of, I don't want to say doubt, but just an ounce of, okay, let's, let's see him kind of prove it year over year. Right. So that was a deciding factor to me, but I will say that I did have several people, um, you know, in conversations and even internally at BA, because we talk about such things and they kind of ask, are we sure, are we sure that it's Ruiz, not Cavalli? And I was, I was pretty steadfast in that. And and no one really pushed back too hard on that which was my clue that I think I was I was right there or at least I was thinking about it correctly whether or not I'm right we'll we'll have to see um but you know with Cavalli it was um everything the Nationals could have wanted in that that full debut I mean it was you know missing bats and it's it's not just pure stuff either I mean that's obviously it's kind of stuff over polish at this point but especially when you talk about you know fastball that can get up to 100 miles an hour but it's, you know, it's two distinct breaking balls. It's it's a curveball and a slider that, and this is kind of where some of the nuance comes in, right, is that he knows to use the slider as kind of a cutter. And he understands this this cutter is not to miss bats. This cutter is to get off the barrel. You know, he's got a change up, you know, that has good evaluators. I talked to aren't super enthused with it, but they said it has enough sink that if he can kind of polish that off a little bit, like it's a, it's a pretty good pitch. And then he can mix in a sinker as well. So it's a pretty varied repertoire. So when you combine that with the stuff, like it's just, I think to answer your first question now, like I think it's, it's, it's true ace potential. And sometimes it's easy to say that. We look at the top pitcher in each organization and kind of maybe make an assumption that this is an ace and that's not true with all of them. To me, this guy is uh, cut from that type of cloth.
2: It's interesting the point you raised about his time in Oklahoma. He never threw more than 60.1 innings in a season and his performance there was... Not great a lot of times, a lot of walks, both his freshman and sophomore years, and then his junior year, as you mentioned, his breakout year, the strikeout to walk ratio was really, really good, but he also allowed more than a hit per inning, and his ERA was over four. It just seemed like everything kind of clicked this year, and we do see that sometimes. Oklahoma pitchers in particular actually have a track record of struggling in college and figuring something out in pro ball. I think about a guy like Garrett Richards, he's kind of the archetype of that. Uh, with Cavalli, we did see, and again, totally natural. He was dominant at high at Wilmington, went to double A. The walks were a little high there, but he still kept runs off the board. was missing bats, finished up at triple A, got hit a little bit there, but considering it was his first full season and and a year earlier, he was still in college. It's impressive just overall that he was there. What are the main things for him to work on to continue this type of rise?
3: The big thing that that I heard is that and this is mostly from internal evaluators and people in the nationals, is they, they would like him to have a better grip on getting outs in the strike zone. Um, not having to get batters to chase or make batters miss or to do something that's going to dazzle hitters, although he can clearly do that. It's, you know, how do I get a weak ground ball here? How do I get off this hitter's barrel? Um, you know, I, I'm not quite able to locate today. I don't have my, my best command. Let me figure out just how to stay away, stay out of trouble here. Let, let me how to figure out how to manage the game, um, because the stuff, the stuff is clearly there. The you know the, the he can be dominant when he's at his best, but you know I think one of the last things to come along with pitchers developing is how do I win games and how do I scratch and claw to get to a win and to deliver a win for my team when things aren't going that smoothly. And so I think they actually felt like there was some value in the fact that he got up to AAA and got hit a little bit, because it's kind of like okay. Um, now he goes into the offseason understanding that I, I actually, I have some work to do here. And, you know, fatigue probably played a role, all of those things. However, I think there was something to the fact that, okay, these are these are professional, professional hitters up at this level. And I'm going to have to be a little bit better in order to get these guys out. And then obviously an order of magnitude, even better than that to get big league hitters out. So I think, I think you know, I didn't hear anyone say this, but I would bet were, there was actually a little bit of, Um, delight in seeing that he hit a little bit of a rough patch there in AAA because it it can create a little bit of a spark going into the offseason. But they're just looking for him to be able to get outs in ways that don't involve missing bats.
2: Joe, the third member of this farm system who's in the BA Top 100 is Brady House. Again, someone who was not in this system at the start of last year. He was their first-round pick this year, really one of the more high-profile high school shortstops of this year's draft class. The Nationals picked him 11th overall. What were the early reviews on him? Because his numbers in the complex league were outstanding. We just know we never want to get too bogged down in complex league statistics. What were people saying about him in his pro debut?
3: Sure. I mean, yeah, you don't want to get too caught up on complex league statistics, especially for a state side, you know, a high school guy, you know, going to be a little more mature and ready than, than international players in, in some cases. And so, um, but yeah, the, I mean, the reviews on him, though, were off the charts good. Um, you know, just were insane. Um, and rightfully so. Like, I don't think anybody was crazy for having those types of reviews, but the optimism about him right now, and some of it is, I think, to the point we were making earlier. Like, Ruiz is like, okay, we know what to expect there. And even Cavalli is,
0: you know, has a little
3: bit – people were a little more introduced to him coming into this season. But with House, it was just such an impressive debut that I think there was a lot of excitement about what he's bringing. And, um, you know, it's it's obviously big-time power. Um, you know, and there there are questions about, you know – Things like you know, hit tool maybe, but uh, most people I talked to weren't worried about that. But it's more about where do you put him defensively. But the thing is, like, if he hits as well as people are expecting him to hit, given his debut and, and the tools he's showing, like, eh, like he'll figure that out, right? I mean, we we find positions for players all the time who can hit. Like that's just um, so I don't think the debut being what it was, and we again we have to understand to take it for what it it, it was. But the, I mean, the optimism is through the roof for Brady House right now. So I'm, he's a guy in the system when you talk about guys you're most excited to see in 2022. Like he's in the system at the top of my list just because um, I don't know if it's possible for excitement about him, both internally and externally, to get a whole lot higher than it already is. But, but I'm sure it will.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I talked to a couple of evaluators from other organizations who said they were actually surprised that Brady House hit as well as he did average-wise in his pro debut. That was one of their big questions. It's only 16 games. It's the Complex League. You don't want to go too crazy, but you see the extra base power. You see a strikeout to walk. Uh, And again, the in-person reviews were really, really good. So this is where... This system, you're starting to see more and more talent come in. You add a guy like Cable reads the trade deadline. Cade Cavalli goes out and has the year he does. You add Brady House in the draft. And all of a sudden, what was the worst farm system in baseball now has three prospects who are all the top 100 and top two of them are in the top 50. And Brady House isn't that far out of the top 50. So you're starting to see the talent base fill here. It's going to take more and more guys and some guys behind them really popping up. Joe, I want
1: to hit on some of those guys. Uh, First, we're going to take a quick break. And we're back breaking down the Washington Nationals
2: farm system with Joe Healy. Joe, as we talked about, this was the worst farm system in baseball entering the 2021 season. At the trade deadline, they tore it all down the major leagues, reinvigorated the farm system. You have guys like Kate Cavalli who were able to go and have a really, really strong first full season. You had a guy like Brady House in the draft. And there is a pretty good top group here, as we mentioned, three top 100 prospects. However, there is a pretty hard line here after the top three where okay, you have these three premium guys. Then after that, there is a fairly significant drop-off. Uh, take us through this four to ten group. Was it just a mishmash? Were there some guys that clearly separated themselves?
3: Yeah, it's four through ten really was a mishmash. And I, and I don't say that as a pejorative because it can make it sound like, you know, I I don't think they're any good, but there was a clear line of delineation after house at three. Because those top three guys, you can stack them up i mean there are organizations that have better one two threes but that that's a real that's a solid one two three you can put up against just i mean almost anybody in, in, in baseball so um but starting at four is when you start to have questions and, and oh by the way to a point you've made i mean those are three guys if you include cavalli who, who didn't really get to play in 2020 those are three guys that had zero track record in the organization and two of them weren't in the organization at all going into last season So that tells you how much of a jump they've made just in that one year i think that's a the great way to kind of encapsulate it but you know, when you start at four with Yassel Antunia, you start to really have serious questions about each player on the on the list, right? So you've got, you know, Antunia who really up and down at the plate, defensive questions, you know, Andre Lara is just young, you know, um, there's obviously a long way to go on that. You know, Cole Henry is um, some injury risk, you know, there's a reliever risk. Uh, Joan Adon is a guy who came out of, I don't want to say left field, but you know, ends up in the big leagues in the end of the year. Like he made as as big a move as anybody on this list. You know, Gerardo Carrillo and, and Jackson Rutledge are stuff over, you know, this is an, an understatement of the century, but are stuff over polish pitchers at this point. You know, Armando Cruz is a defense first shortstop who is is Super Young. Um, so that's a that's a pretty uh, four through ten is a a pretty raw. A group with a lot of risk and so there are guys you know we can get into some of these guys and talk about what we like and don't like but that's when you really start to have to ask hard questions as it as at number four and so this this section was the hardest section for me maybe of the entire 30 um, because there, there's it's, a, it's very apples and oranges comparisons when you talk about some of these really raw international players but the guy like Cole Henry who had a pretty good track record at a very good college program at LSU um, and is a lot closer to the big leagues than others
2: yeah, I want to start with Yasiel Antunia. Nationals gave him $3.85 million in the 2016 international signing class. He was a Herald international signee, just sidetracked by injuries pretty much from the get-go. He finally got into his first full season in 2021, went up to high at Wilmington, and did not perform great at the plate or in the field especially. He committed 36 errors in 96 games at shortstop, and after the season, the Nationals moved him to the outfield. So that's going to add more pressure to the bat a year after he hit 227. With a 307 on base and a 385 slugging percentage. What can the Nationals reasonably expect here? He's only 21, but at the same time, between the injury track record, the lack of performance track record, the position move now, it's going to put even more pressure on the bat. What made him number four?
3: I think there there was a a feeling that what they saw in 2021 from Montuni, even though the numbers don't totally show it, was a little bit of a A, a bounce back from injuries, et cetera, but also kind of a reset of of maybe not expectations is the right word, but let me put it this way. Let me back up. You mentioned the defensive questions and moving him to the outfield. I think that they feel like that maybe can unlock something for him because the the defense was not good on the infield. It was a big question and it wasn't just that the the tools are maybe lacking and he gets the job done. He I mean, he was making errors and there's a difference there. Um, so to have that off his back, I think um is helpful and can be really helpful for a player and they're optimistic that that can be a game changer for him the other thing is that because of the lack of playing time he got for injuries and pandemic reasons in 2019 and 2020 in particular um is a guy who hadn't really gotten competitive at bats in a long long time and it showed i think it was four for six, his first 67 which doesn't even sound possible you know like I know this isn't exactly true, but I feel like I could step up to the plate and maybe go four for 67, you know, like just a dribbler that I run out or something, you know. Um, So just horrifically bad bad luck early in the season, but he hit 315 over a two-month stretch and kind of in the middle of the season and seemed to figure some things out. And then, of course, there's kind of the ebb and flow of, okay, then people start to figure you out again, and, and maybe, you know, he didn't keep that standard up but they liked what they saw in terms of, okay, once he kind of got going and got his feet under him, the bat started to come around. Um, I think there is maybe some luster off of his star at this point. Um, but I, I do think there's confidence that the bat is going to be enough to where he can be on a, be a contributor on a, on a, a big league roster, whether he's um, whether, whether there's any star power there or not, however you wanted to find that. I think there's less certainty about that, but, but they liked what they saw in terms of he's healthy he hit the ball once he really got going, and now that he's in the outfield, it feels like maybe he's, he's found a little something and feels a little more comfortable.
2: We have seen that. I think about guys like Oscar Mercado and Franchi Cordero who were shortstops and it it just wasn't working at all. They moved into the outfield and they were able to relax a little more and just focus more on developing as hitters. I will say for Antunia, and you were close, he was four for 70 to start the season from opening day through June 1st, almost a full month. But he actually bounced back a little bit, as you mentioned, once he got into July over the final two and a half months of the season, he hit 272, 350, 436 with 21 doubles, seven homers in 65 games so almost an extra base hit every other game so uh, there definitely was some improvement at the end of the season and i'm really curious to see if hey maybe he can follow that oscar mercado Franchi cordero path and moving off of shortstop does free him up a little bit and again mercado and cordero they've been more up down guys but they got to the major leagues they've had moments they've had flashes where they've helped a big league team and at this point i think that that would constitute a win for Yasel Antuna. Someone else on this list that was a high-profile prospect was Jackson Rutledge, and this is sort of where you always want to be careful when it comes to short looks, especially in instructs. Uh, I talked about how cape Cavalli talking to scouts throughout instructional league last year, it was like, wow, this guy looks really, really good. This looks like a real dude, and it turned out he was. At the same time, a lot of those same scouts were saying, And Jackson Rutledge is not far behind him. He's right there with him. You know, they could both be number one. They're both really, really good. And as we see again, again, if you have two potentially good pitching prospects, odds are only one of them is really going to hit. Rutledge had a very, very difficult season in 2021. In some ways, the polar opposite of Cavalli's. I was stuck in the lower levels, dealt with injuries, had a 7.68 ERA in the lower levels in the minors, gave up more than a hit per inning, five walks per nine just not a good season at all what are the reviews on jackson rutledge right now what did people see and and what's the next step moving forward
3: yeah it was i don't mean to be dramatic about it but i think it was just a lost year for jackson rutledge and those happen um and you know i got there, there were some folks i talked to about him like i felt like they were a little bit hesitant to say anything because it's like the thing your mom said growing up where if you don't have anything nice to say that you don't want to say anything at all because i think there was just a lot of negativity about how his 2021 went. Um, And so, you know, he's a guy who's always had kind of questions surrounding him. Like, to be honest, you know, for listeners who don't know, I'm, you know, staff writer on college baseball for baseball Americans. So I have a little more knowledge of some of these guys' college path. And he was a guy who went to Arkansas and struggled to get on the mound at Arkansas, ends up transferring to San Jacinto and, had a nice year at San Jacinto at the junior college level. And those who know, know that's a junior college powerhouse that puts out a lot of a lot of really talented players. And so, you know, that that kind of was enough to alleviate some initial concerns. But, you know, he's always looked like a guy who was maybe a reliever. You know, it's a pretty straightforward fastball slider, kind of one-two punch that we see time and time again in, in power relievers here. So there is that reliever risk. Um, but with the way he pitched in 2021, uh, there's concerns, you know, is his command good enough to even really be a reliable reliever you know and some injuries are part of that like I want to be clear about that too like I don't just want to suggest it's all just a step back from a performance standpoint there were some some various injury concerns in there um but but that's also a thing right I mean if if a guy starts to have the label of being a little bit injury prone that's something else that we we have to consider the biggest thing for him going into 2022 is he just needs needs to be healthy needs to get back on the mound needs to get more innings under his belt I think you know, obviously for uh, internally for the Nationals, it gives them an opportunity to to better figure out what he is. But for him, I think it's just an opportunity for him to get back on the mound and and get a little confidence back, get a little mojo back and get moving back in the right direction because 2021 was really nothing but a backslide for him. For a guy, you're right. I mean, I, I got some similar feedback in this process of there was a time when Rutledge looked like a you know, 1A if you were going to call Cavalli a one in terms of the pitching pecking order in this system. And, you know, frankly, I think there was an argument to move him based on some of the the conversations I had. There was a temptation I had to move him out of the top 10. But then when you looked at it against like the stuff is just the stuff is just too good. And and the good has been good enough to where I don't I don't want to really want to bail. But there was just not not a good feeling about what Rutledge did um, this past season.
2: I will say to finish it on a little bit of a positive note, I did see him in the Arizona folly come out with a relief appearance where you saw it. You saw the fastball slider combination working. You saw him throwing the ball enough in the strike zone to be effective. Uh, There were a couple of sequences where he was just dominant. Now he couldn't hold it. It wasn't like he was doing it inning after inning, but you saw it in in a one inning spurt, a two inning spurt, you know, an at bat here an at bat there. So I actually came out of seeing him in the fall league feeling a little more bullish because, again, throughout the year, I got the same feedback you did, just kind of all bad, just to be frank about it. But seeing him for myself in the fall league, I see it. I kind of get why there's still a little bit of optimism and why you'd hold on to it. Like a lot of people out there, I, I'm skeptical he'll be able to hold it for more than two or three innings, and thus he's probably better suited as a reliever. But you know, even if he's a hard form reliever who pitches in the seventh or eighth inning, there's still a lot of value there. A lot of teams need good setup men. And I do think that is still potentially in the cards here if he stays healthy and irons out a few things.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, um, and I, you know, I commend the Nationals, I really do, for continuing to try to start him and give him that opportunity because I've always felt, and I'm no expert on this, you would know far better than I, but I've always felt like, um, we, we as an industry, but also I think even within, within baseball, there is a little bit of a tendency to pull the ripcord on guys a little early and and start to make a determination on that stuff when, when really sure. Are there some finer points of transitioning from starting to relieving that have to be ironed out? Absolutely. I don't, I don't want to oversimplify it, but you can always move a guy to the bullpen. Um, So giving them an opportunity to start and prove that they prove that they can't don't just assume they can't. So I commend them a little bit on that with Rutledge because and there are a lot of people who are screaming it from the mountaintops that he's just a reliever. Let's just move on. Um, and so I commend them for kind of continuing that experiment for lack of a better way of putting it because the stuff is good enough that I, I feel pretty confident if you you can put Jack, Jackson Rutledge in a big league bullpen at any point in the next couple of years and maybe it'll be a little bit rough at times, but he could he could get some outs if he can iron some things out. I don't have a lot of doubt there. He's he's similar to a guy in, just in front of him on this list in Gerardo Carrillo where you know, it's electric stuff. Maybe the best – there's an argument with him and Rutledge and Cavalli you the best fastball in the system. But, again, it's um, – you know, the command is, is a real struggle. So Nationals have a couple of those guys. They're still trying to kind of figure out exactly, exactly what they are. So for both of those guys, 2022 feels big in terms of really getting a definition and a full view of what they are.
2: Yeah, and again, there's no question you continue to start Rutledge and career for that matter in the minor leagues and see if they can figure some things out. Just given their command struggles, given their consistency struggles, I saw a lot of career in the Dodgers system. It's hard to see them throwing strikes consistently enough to get through a lineup multiple times every fifth day over the course of a long season, but you never know. And these are young pitchers and and you certainly give them a chance. And like you said, you don't want to pull a ripcord yet. And if nothing else, keep them starting the minors just to see if they can work through some things, have more innings and opportunities to do so. These are guys who throw very, very hard and you can see them ending up helping the big league club, which I think if you look at the nationals numbers, eight, nine prospects last year, you, you wouldn't have really said that Joe, Given that this is a system now that, as we talked about, has you know three studs at the top, and even though there's not a lot of depth in the sense of guys, you say, oh, this guy has a chance to be an impact player. You talked about Antuny, we've talked about Rutledge, you talked about Carrillo. You can carve out a path for them to the major leagues in some form or fashion. Joan and Adon's already there. Even in systems that are in the bottom third of baseball, there's always guys who surprise you outside of a top ten, and a lot of cases even in the back half of a system, the fifteen to thirty range who are some of the guys in the national system that are worth keeping an eye on, whether it's a guy they acquired in a trade this past year, whether it's someone who's already in the system and really started to show some things last year, who are some guys to keep an eye on?
3: Yeah, I'll kind of uh, fire through a few of them here. I think one is we talked about it a little bit earlier is Riley Adams. You know, if, if, if baseball does go to a universal DH, I think he's a guy who's really valuable. It's, you know, a big-time power profile, and there's some thought that he could actually hit enough to be a first baseman You know, if they decide to go that route. And a DH, obviously, if that comes to pass, could be something there. So that's a guy to watch already in the big leagues. The other one is Aldo Ramirez, a um, little bit further down the list, is a right-hander. He's kind of interesting because we talk so much about these pitchers where it's it's stuff, it's stuff, it's stuff, and we're wondering if the other things are going to come together. He's someone who, coming up in the Red Sox organization – was kind of more, this guy actually understands the finer points of pitching, and now his stuff is coming. And that's kind of really an intriguing mix there. Um, so if he continues on that track, like suddenly he's a guy I think can, can really pop here. Jackson Clough is an infielder. Uh, speaking of guys in the Arizona Fall League, he's a guy who played really well in the Arizona Fall League. Some of the feedback I got on him, I, I think there's an assumption, especially because he was an older prospect. He was at BYU, you know, was a multi-year college guy. I think people tend to default to those guys, especially when they're middle infielders, of looking at them as like high floor, low ceiling players. But some of the feedback I got on him was like, there are real tools here. It's not like a superstar profile. But, you know, there's there's some feeling that like he goes into next year and looking at, at, at maybe being a, getting some big league time. And so he's a guy who I think has maybe been undersold in terms of the tools. Uh, two pitchers, Mitchell Parker and Evan Lee, I would put them in the same bucket of, Big time numbers in 2021 really burst onto the scene. But I think there's a general feeling, there's optimism about them, but I think there is a general feeling of okay, let's let's see them do that again. I don't want to say there's fear that they were flukes. That's not fair to them, but there is a little bit of hesitancy of uh, okay, let's let's see if maybe you can create a track record here. The last guy was one of my favorite prospects. Uh, a guy I'm sure you're familiar with with Kyle because he came from a West Coast organization, but Yordi uh, Barley. Um, a shortstop who the feedback I got him was the wildest feedback I have received on anybody on this list or anybody I even talked about because the tools are outstanding it's plus plus run it's a cannon arm it's like some people think he actually might hit for power at the big league level like this guy looks the part but he really struggles at shortstop makes, I mean, you talk about Yasel Antunya's error problems. He's got error problems. And and a lot of times they say it's not even physical errors. It's like, what's going on here? Like mental errors. Um, It's not a uh, fully formed package, shall we say, in terms of a baseball player yet. So the the feedback I got on him was, went one of two ways. One is the, the tool package is so exciting that like, I think there's actually something here and I can't wait to see what it is. And the other piece of feedback I got was, you know, I really like the tools. I do not want him in my organization, (laughs) just because there's so much uncertainty about what exactly he's going to be. So he's a guy, he's very low on the 30. I think he's 29 or something like that. So he's not really a high priority guy, but he's kind of somebody who's just, you know, uh, keep tabs on him because the tools are such that they are some of the best in this organization and therefore some of the best, I think some of the best in baseball in terms of single tools. Um, it's just a matter of if he becomes a fully formed baseball player.
2: So I want to start with the positives before I dive into some of that. Yeah, when the Nationals executed their trades for Aldo Ramirez and Riley Adams, they traded Kyle Schwarber and got Aldo Ramirez back. They traded Brad Hand and got Riley Adams back. Immediately, scouts were very, very congratulatory toward the Nationals. They thought they got two really good players, really good prospects, and guys who could help. And I thought Aldo Ramirez was actually interesting just because, like you said, there's More pitchability than stuff there, but there are people out there who think he can be a a real number four starter. And hey, you need back-end starters. And if you can get him for someone on an expiring contract, that's a really good trade. Uh, Riley Adams, as you mentioned, a big league-ready contributor for a closer who was really, really struggling. Those were two very, very nice additions. And even some of these other guys that, that got during the sell-off, I think about a guy like Drew Millis, uh, the catcher they got as part of the trade with the A's for Jan Gomes and Josh Harrison. is a really good defender. These are all good players, and I do think it's notable, again, that the top two guys you mentioned, uh, as guys who are outside the 30, that can really pop potentially next year, are guys that were acquired in trades. They, they really had to go get talent from outside the system. Regarding Jordy Barley, I am very, very familiar with him, having done the potter system for of many, many years and being not too far from Lake Elsinore and getting to see him for myself last year. I'll just let the performance do the talking. He committed 41 errors in 70 games at shortstop between the Padres and National Systems this year. He struck out 125 times in 364 at-bats. No question, he can really, really run. He can throw a baseball very, very hard. There are tools there. The actual baseball ability is Very, very rough right now. And we even saw after the trade he hit two forty in Lake Elsinore once he got to Fredericksburg and a less hitter friendly league. He hit two oh five. So I get, you know, kind of the the gamble on the tools, but I think a lot has to happen here for those to start translating into skills. And he was 21 in low A. He was age appropriate. It's not like he was 18. So I'm probably more skeptical on that one, just having seen him a lot and having had experiences with him. But I understand the Nationals taking a shot there, getting him as the second prospect in the deal for Daniel Hudson, along with Mason Thompson, who was able to step in and contribute in their bullpen right away.
3: Yeah, I mean, if, if, if we describe sometimes this is I, I tend not to use terminology like this, because I, I, I try not to, to dehumanize, especially prospects, I try to, to remember the human here, like, but they often get described as lottery tickets, right? And so like, you know, some prospects are like little scratch off tickets, where there's not a lot of risk. And maybe the reward is minimal. Like you barley with his tools is like the Powerball lotto ticket, right? Where it's like, there's a pretty good chance, like, we're not going to cash this. But if this cashes, we're in really good shape you know like that's kind of what it is the high risk high reward here um and so that's kind of where it's at there so it's it's important to remember that spectrum and it it takes all kinds right i mean but uh you know when you're talking the back of the 30 i don't know about you kyle when i put these lists together when you're talking the back of the 30 like if we're looking at a grab bag of six or eight guys for those last couple of spots like sometimes you're looking for the differentiator and those loud tools sometimes just kind of speak to you i don't know what to say you know
2: I totally get the back of the 30, especially a system that, as we talked about, is improving, uh, but still is in the bottom third of Major League Baseball. But again, they're no longer 30th. They've moved up and, and that's important. And you look at what they have on this team next year, you start with, of course, Juan Soto, one of the best players in baseball. Obviously, the offseason still has to unfold, but you start with him. You look at guys like Cabert Ruiz, you know, Lane Thomas, guys who've, who've produced a little bit and are, are on the younger side. Um, Carter Keeboom and Victor Robles, obviously wanted to get them back on track, but they're still only 24 with a lot of talent there. So There are some young players to work with. Talk about on the pitching side, you still have Steven Strasburg, although we need to see if he can stay healthy. Patrick Corbin, if he can get back on track. Josiah Gray, a promising young right-hander as well, with potentially Cade Cavalli coming up. And Joe Ross as well. He's had some injury issues. Had a torn elbow ligament last year, but we'll see what he's able to give them. So... There are some young players here to work with and build with. It's just going to take time and seeing if these prospects can come up and help in the next couple of years will be determined how quickly they get back to contention. They're going to have another high draft pick this year. This farm system is only going to get better and the Nationals have essentially executed a rebuild once. They had not a lot when Mike Rizzo and co took over toward uh, the end of the 2000s and turned them into one of the best National League teams of the 2010s and, and capped it with the first World Series championship in franchise history. So this is a group that has a track record of executing rebuilds successfully. The draft record in the middle of this decade wasn't great, but recently maybe there's some signs it's getting better. So We'll see what happens. There's a lot up in the air with the Nationals. Again, for me, I think they're going to be a fascinating test case of, is it possible to go from a tear-it-all-down rebuild back to the postseason in under four years? Um, History says no, but I think if there's one rebuild that could do it, it's this one. And I'm just going to be fascinated to watch it all unfold.
3: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's, um, you know, the the funny thing about that is too, is that it kind of, we're always, we're understanding these things on a, on a spectrum, right? I mean, there was a time in, in baseball where you, these rebuilds are a lot more aggressive, uh, steep than they, than they used to be. You used to see teams try to build on the fly a lot more, and and that was out of vogue, and now it's complete teardowns are a little more outside of the teams who can really just, you know, rebuild based on on payroll and things of that nature. And, um, you know, can the Nationals kind of, carve out another path forward for a certain type of organization Um, may not work for everybody, but but they're going to try something here, I think, that is is a little bit different than what we've seen so far. And so, um, you know, kind of creating a lane there for teams that are looking to rebuild and maybe not uh, go quite so far down into the cellar at the same time. It would be interesting,
2: for sure. We'll see what happens. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your insight as always.
3: Absolutely. Happy to do it.
2: All right, everyone. That'll do it for another BA Top 10 Prospects podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Joe Healy, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody.